Before we get started, we wanted to tell you about the Baseball Tonight podcast with Buster Oney. It's a three-day-a-week podcast bringing you guests like Mike Trout, top managers like Dave Roberts, to the insights of GMs like Brian Cashman, along with regulars such as Tim Kirchin, Jeff Passan, Sarah Lane, and Carl Ravitch. The Baseball Tonight podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, guys? Welcome to a brand new episode of DC and RC. I'm Daniel Cormier. That's my friend Ryan Clark. Today on the show, guys, we will discuss and recap all things UFC 285. We will also get predictions from Conor McGregor and Michael Chandler on their upcoming fight. And as always, we tap in or we tap out. But RC, before we get started, there are some things that come to mind. I've got a forever smile right now because, first off, we signed Derek Carr. We're going to the Super Bowl. But secondly, <laughs> you've made it, my brother. I called this dude down last week because your daughter, Logan, decides she wants to meet the big teddy bear. So then as you're walking, you are just a star in mixed martial arts. I hear, RC, RC. I'm like, yo, y'all mixing up the first letter in DC and RC because all I hear is RC, RC. Like, what was going on, my brother? How was the environment for you? in the way that the fans have now welcomed you into the world of mixed martial arts. It's actually kind of crazy because I am still just a fan of mixed martial arts and the UFC, and I got an opportunity to actually come out of the tunnel that the fighters come out of, and I was dapping people off like I was going to (laughs) fight that night. It is is a, a long way away from where I was, you know, two international fight weeks uh, ago, two years ago when we launched this show. And I think the love is is, is so dope uh, for me because I know it's something that we've earned through this show. But I also know, had you not accepted me and wanted to do this show with me and valued my opinion, that we wouldn't be in the place that we are. So to everybody who supports our show, man, we're so grateful. And to everybody that showed me love when I got an opportunity to be at the fight this weekend, we appreciate y'all. And we're going we're gonna to just keep dropping gems on this show. RC, you know what's crazy? It's like very rarely is a person surprised when you walk up to the chief business officer, Hunter Campbell, from the UFC, and he dapping you, but then it's just normal for me to see you and Tom Brady just chopping it up. You just chopping it up with Tom Brady, that's normal. But to see you talking to the head, one of the heads in charge of the UFC, I was like, no, this dude made it because Dana White hugging you, Tom Brady hugging you. Hunter, I was like, this dude done made him. I was so proud. He, it was like a daddy that saw his son just become the prom king. You know what I'm saying? It was, I was like, yeah. look at my hey, boy. So, but here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy. Obviously, when you play for the Pittsburgh Steelers, New England, and Tom Brady, they're your arch enemy because they're pretty much the only team that beats you consistently. So, But I introduced <laughs> my wife to him. She's like, oh, we got it, Logan. We got to take a selfie with Tom Brady. But then Mario Lopez is sitting <laughs> near Tom Brady and... And he walks past Yonk, and she basically gropes him. Like, I was scared that Mario Lopez was going to call security on my wife. I was like, babe, you can't be jumping on this man like that. And the other part is, Mario ain't big, bro. No, he's not a big dude. It was only so much you could attack him. But it was really cool to be down there. Like, the atmosphere for for Jones, Surugan was just absolutely crazy. I mean, the number of stars that were out, Mm -hmm. the the place was packed. 
three or four fights before the main event. Freaking Jake Gyllenhaal is beating up on former UFC players and picking carpet <laughs> out of their beards. It was just one of those nights <laughs> that you'll truly never forget where you were that night, whether you had the blessings to be inside the arena or if you were sitting at home watching it on TV. Absolutely. It was it was an electric environment. Obviously, when Tom Brady shows up, man, the GOAT, everybody is just excited. It kind of almost elevates the room. But another guy that many consider the greatest fighter of all time made his long-awaited return last weekend. John Jones came back from three years away from mixed martial arts to take on Cyril Gaon for the heavyweight championship of the world. I have gone on record saying that maybe Jones looks a little different physically. Maybe Jones doesn't move as fast, but he's going up 25 pounds in fighting. That is no knock on John Jones and what he accomplished last weekend. It is just a fact. But through all that, regardless of what you think, because he got attacked early in the week for his body, and he was able, he went and defended himself. Whether you love him or hate him, whether you think he looks as he was advertised to look, it did not matter once the referee said fight. It was John Jones of old, and it was John Jones doing something, Ryan, that he hasn't done for a really long time. And that's been five years since John Jones had finished the fight. Not only did he finish the fight, he finished the fight in two minutes and beat Cyril Gaon and completely wiped him out as he told everyone he would do all week. Well, you know what was crazy about that? Let's think about other heavyweights and heavyweight champions. Let's think about Cain Velasquez or... Yep. Just some of Frank Mir, some of the other guys yep. who were highly competitive and champions of the heavyweight division. It wasn't like these dudes were cut up. And what we're doing is comparing John Jones's 205 body to his 248 pound body. But here yep. is what struck me when John Jones stood across from Surreal Gone in the middle of the ring and call outs, I was like, he's just as big. Even if it's not as impressive, he's a guy that's just as big and Cyril Gaon doesn't dwarf him in his heavyweight body. And when I recognized that, I knew right away. I was like, dude's in trouble. And we saw that materialize through the first two minutes of that fight. Watching that fight from Octagon's side, though, DC, how impressive was John Jones's submission of Cyril Gaon? You know, it was, it, was, it was impressive, but it was very surprising because it didn't seem like it was all the way in. But then when they switched the angle, you could see, because we're looking through the cage, right, RC? So you have those pillars, you have the, 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 the sponsorships and everything, and Jones and them were on the opposite side of the octagon. So it looked like he was feeding him his hips to try to choke him. But when you see that, you think, oh, that's an uncomfortable position, but not a position you submit to. So when he submitted, I was just like, well, what did he tap to? But then when they switched the camera and you were able to see, Jones did have his lock under the chin. And Jones is a strong guy. So when Surreal Gon's sitting on his butt, his body's getting crunched as Jones is feeding the hips to arch his back into him to submit him. So it must have been painful. But you know what? You know what stood out to me, right? To watch Jones do something spectacular is not all that surprising. He's made a career of it. But watching Cyril Gaon, listening to Cyril Gaon over the course of the week, and then watching him in the fight, it almost felt like the moment was too big for him. Did you get that feel 
when the fight started? Like, did you get, like, when you walked away from it, did it feel like a letdown on Cyril Gahn's behalf because it seemed like he was intimidated by the moment? You know what, DC? It, it wasn't a letdown. I think what I thought about was the experience one fighter has as compared to the experience of another. We look at Cyril Gahn being so talented, so so quick, so agile, so athletic in that type of body, and we forget how inexperienced he is Dude. in the UFC. And then we and look at a fighting guy, RC. Right, and you Dude's know only you take, for like four years. Exactly. But also take John Jones, who has been in championship bouts since the age of 21. He's fought mm -hmm. so many names in this game that are absolute legends. When you say Shogun uh, Hua, when you say Machida, when you say Daniel Cormier, when you say Rampage, all of these dudes are legends. John Jones was in the octagon with people who are worshipped in mixed martial arts, and he was better than all of them. And so now when you make this fight, and all we keep hearing from Cyril Gahn is, he's the GOAT. I get a chance to fight the GOAT. I get mm. to fight the GOAT. The, the Golden State Warriors can't play LeBron James and go, oh, I don't know how this is going to work playing against the GOAT. Or mm. the Detroit Pistons, I guess at the time Michael Jordan wasn't there, can't go face him thinking this is the GOAT. You got to go in there believing that you can beat this guy. And if you're building him up as the greatest of all time repeatedly in your head, you can't go beat a dude that you're fighting as a fan. Mm. You have to be fighting him as an opponent. And that's not the way that Gon entered this fight. And you could see, and I've said this a lot of times off camera, and I hope that this doesn't get me the, the casual talk. John Jones truly believes in his head that he is a god of war. John mm. Jones now believes that he was destined to fight. And one of my favorite movies is Troy. And the, the approach Achilles had when he rides up to the when he rides up to the, the, the city and he and he gets to the gates and he's screaming for Hector to come down. That's the way John Jones enters every octagon that he steps into. That this is my this this is my fight. This is my opportunity, and I'm gonna seize it. Surreal Gone wasn't there. But DC, when you see John Jones get his hand raised or Cyril Gahn taps. Is this it? Is the conversation over? Is John Jones the GOAT no matter what happens from here on out? You know, I want to hit on a point that you made before I get to that, that, that little aspect of it. You, you know, you said Cyril Gahn can't fight him as a fan. You know, people, it's in the numbers, right? So I interviewed Cyril Gahn the other day for my YouTube channel, and it's got hundreds of thousands of views. And he said, I'm not a fan of John Jones. And that was the title because he said, I've only been fighting long enough to see what he's done late in his career. So I can't idolize the things that he did prior. I believed him. And so did so many others, Ryan, because that's why they all watched and they all hung on to those words. But then when the competition started, it did not feel like it. And you know what else to me probably was the most telling thing? was when he walked away from him. There's a photo that Kevin Holland posted, and it said, that's how you look at a goat. Surreal Gan looked shook. He looked so shocked at what had just happened. It was His eyes were wide open like, I can't believe this just happened to me. 
you cannot be enamored with the guy that you're fighting. That happened to me with Anderson Silva for about five seconds. And then I see, I have a question. I have a question Mm -hmm. for you, though. Do you know, so when you're you're playing football, I can watch Marshawn Lynch on film and I can see him break tackles and do all these things. But in my mind, I'm looking at him. I'm like, Marshawn's a killer. But in my mind, I'm like, I'm a killer, too. Like, I ain't tripping yes. on this. Like, like let's, yes. see, let, let, let's see who wins. But he runs the football one time, and we're in an open field, and I do the same thing I've done for years, and I approach him the right way, and I hit him, and maybe he bounces off of me. Or I hit him, mm-hmm. and maybe he drags me for a yard. And I stand up, and I go, I thought it was going to be this, but it's actually he's actually stronger than I thought or he's tougher than I thought, or more mm-hmm. explosive than I thought. For Cyril Gaon, D.C., could it have been, you know what, this is John Jones, he's moving up, I'm going to be all right. And then once John ducks the straight, gets a hold of him and brings him down, that you go, oh, crap, it's even worse than I thought. Do you mm. ever have those moments inside the octagon where a dude hits you or a dude grabs you and you realize, oh, this is more than I even bargained for stepping into this octagon? Well, you just kind of like, like you said, right? You expect it to be the same from what Maybe you Rumble see. Maybe Rumble Johnson then, when he punched you. Yeah, but like, yes. So you expect it to be the same, right? You see him it take an effect on people differently. So when you tackle him and he may drag you, you go, wow, it's not the same. It is different. But then let's line up and get it again. It's that right. old saying, Ryan, like you get knocked down, you try again. You do it, you try again. But I think that's all rooted in the journey, right, RC? So... If you have had a short journey, right, Cyril Gaon gets hit, he hasn't been through the things that will allow for him to know how to recover, recoup, and just do it again. So when I was fighting Rumble and I got knocked down, I can point back to the NCAA wrestling tournament, to the Olympic Games, to all these things in my life that have formed me to this, whereas I don't know if he's had that. So even Jones, we started fighting. And I punched him, and he punched me, and my nose started bleeding. We both sitting there with bloody noses. I'm like, well, I thought he didn't hit hard because that's what everybody told me. He has never put anybody out. But then I just go back to fighting again because, once again, I pull from all those experiences. God, it's only fought for four years. He doesn't necessarily have those experiences to draw from in those tense moments. So maybe for him, it was overwhelming. Now, the GOAT discussion, as you talked about earlier. I think it's hard to really argue the greatest of all time when Jones has now gone up to heavyweight and won the championship because of what he did at light heavyweight. I, and this always puts me in a tough position, right? Because I will always say guys that have bad things attached to their name should not be held on high. And I think, I think especially with the drugs and the steroid failures and those types of things, I think, when you have those things, it's hard to call you the greatest of all time. And I know Anderson and all those guys, but I think he's in the conversation. Even right. because he's become a heavyweight champion, now he's won belts in two-way classes. I don't, for the for my opinion, believe he should be number one pound for pound. I think Alexander Volkanovsky should still stay there. I don't think he should be the number one pound for pound fighter in the world, but I have no issue yeah. with it if people uh, have voted that. Yeah, no, but so, yes, so, in the conversation, but again, it, but this makes it hard for me, right? Because then I come off as a bit bitter when in reality I'm not bitter. I've always took this stance and I'm, I'm staying with it. 
So, DC, you know, you mentioned the GOAT conversation as I asked the question. John Jones says after the fight, he's never had an opportunity to fight someone who is considered the GOAT of a certain weight class or of a certain uh, or of a certain organization. Whereas Stipe Miocic, when you look at his reign as heavyweight champion of the UFC, he's definitely the guy that we point to as the greatest heavyweight champion yep. of all time. And now that fight is in talks to be set to get John Jones, who we just discussed is in the conversation for the GOAT as it pertains to the UFC. And now Stipe Miocic, who's the greatest heavyweight in UFC history. How excited are you for that fight after watching what Gon, I mean, after watching what John was able to do to Cyril Gon and then knowing what Stipe Miocic has been through, experienced, overcome, and become in the heavyweight division, how do you see that matchup going? I think it's going to be much tougher. You know, I said this after the fight. I said Stipe Miocic will be much tougher for John Jones. But the reality is this, RC, like, all you got to do is last three minutes for it to be a tougher fight. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got to take three minutes to be in a tougher fight against Jones than he had against Cyril Gaon. Um, I believe that Stipe's championship experience will show itself in the fight. I believe that Stipe's fighting ability will show itself in the fight. And I also believe that Stipe Miocic's NCAA wrestling pedigree will help him in the fight. Stipe can box. Stipe can wrestle. And Stipe also has championship experience. So, RC, in those moments, in those dark moments that we spoke about Surreal not necessarily being prepared for because he didn't have the background for it, Miocic has that. Miocic has that in spades. Miocic has been in there with the level of competition that tells you that he should be able to compete with anyone. Having fought me three times, having fought, uh, having fought Fabricio Verdum, having fought Alistair Overeem, having fought so many great athletes, Francis Ngannou twice, having fought all those guys, you expect Stipe to be ready to fight against a guy like John Jones and not be intimidated by John Jones. Would I be comfortable saying Stipe Miocic is going to win the fight? No. But I'm saying that it's going to be a much more difficult challenge for Jones going up to 265 pounds. DC, it honestly won't be very hard to be a tougher fight for John Jones <laughs> than what we saw against Cyril Gaon. I mean, that was one of those fights that just happened like that. He immediately took over. I don't see that happening with a guy like Stipe Miocic, who's been in there with you three times. He's been in there with Francis Ngannou. There isn't going to be this fear or this awe of John Jones. But to me, DC, I'm more interested in the skill set. When I look at you having fought these men, you know, together five times, three in there with Stipe Miocic, two in there with John Jones. When you look at fighting style, skill, power, uh, stamina, cardio, ability, all of these things put together, who would you lean to and say they have the advantage in some of those things when you look at this matchup? You know, when I just break it down like that, in terms of the power, it's got to be Miocic. He hits harder with his hands. Jones obviously kicks harder. Uh, stamina, I'd, I'd say they're pretty even. Kicking, John Jones holds the advantage. I believe that everything else is kind of a wash in reality, like the wrestling, the cardio. They're both A-plus in those skills and in those areas. Like, those guys are as good as they come in regards to mixed martial arts and fighting. 
Also, Miocic is tall. Miocic is big. Miocic has the ability to match Jones in a lot of those areas where Jones holds those advantages. But the reality is, man, after what John Jones did last weekend in his heavyweight debut, it's going to be very difficult to imagine any heavyweight beating this guy right now. But imagining someone as a challenge can be difficult until proven otherwise. No one thought that Alexa Grasso would present much of a challenge to Valentina Shevchenko. People thought that Valentina had specifically chosen Alexa because she didn't want to fight Tyler Santos again because Tyler Santos pushed her. Alexa Grasso said, to hell with all of you. I'm not only going to win, I'm going to do it impressively. She had success early in the striking, forced Valentina to start wrestling. One mistake by Shevchenko in that long title reign is over. We have a new champion at flyweight. Her name is Alexa Grasso, the third Mexican champion. How much shock and awe, Ryan, did you have when she won? And I ask you this. DC, did it, had me. Did, wait, one question, though, Ryan. Did it, did it give you the same feels as Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes, or was that more shocking? So it, it was Juliana Pena, Amanda Nunes was more shocking to me. I'm, I'm going to say that. That right away, uh, even with the way I see Valentina Shevchenko, how dominant she's been in her reign as champion. I, I believe that Amanda Nunes is the greatest female mixed martial artist of all time. And so to see her lose was was something I never expected, at least at this point in her career. But Valentina Shevchenko was a tear under that in the way I felt about someone being unbeatable. And from the very start, of that fight, you can see she had difficulty with Alexa on her feet. And then you got the takedowns in round two, the takedowns in round three. But here's what gave me a little bit of pause. I knew or I felt that Valentina was winning on the cards. She wasn't dominating on the ground. Now, she was able to get the takedowns, but she wasn't doing a ton of damage. And then when a couple of those takedowns were stuffed, I said, okay, now we have an issue. It was plainly obvious she didn't want to stand and strike with Alexa Grasso, which is something we aren't mm. used to seeing from Valentina no. Shevchenko. But she also didn't do a ton of damage on the ground. She just kind of held her there. And the thing I left that fight thinking that I didn't leave thinking the Juliana Pena Amanda Nunes fight, even though Amanda Nunes was maybe dominated a little more, I didn't leave that fight going, Juliana Pena is better than Amanda Nunes. Mm. I walk up, I'm talking to Anthony Smith, and I said, Alexa Grasso, at least tonight, is a better fighter to me than Valentina Shevchenko. She was better on her feet. She fought well off of her back. And then once she got the opportunity to be the aggressor in the grappling she put her out right away. Bro, she almost made her head burst like dude from Big Trouble <laughs> in, in Little China when he got mad that they killed the master and he just blew himself up like... <laughs> it was very similar to that when you look at how tight that submission was, especially once she got her hand behind her mm. head. Man, that was, that was one of the more impressive... Uh, fights I've seen when an opponent is fighting what we've seen as such a dominant champion and Alexa Grasso for me 
if this is an immediate rematch, which Valentina Shevchenko has called for, I would pick Alexa Grasso to defend in that rematch. You know what's crazy, Ryan? You kind of think if they do the rematch right now, does Valentina get favored is the question. Because you remember when Amanda was the, the, the favorite in the first fight against Juliana, she was favored in the rematch against Juliana because even though Juliana won the fight, people felt as though it was a one-off. It doesn't feel like these two are as distant in terms of skill. You know that every time they fight, Alexa Grasso will be tough for Valentina Shevchenko because she was landing in the stand-up, and then she started to defend takedowns as the fight went long, and I believe that's where Valentina started to make mistakes. Bro, I, I never thought I would ever speak about Shevchenko making mistakes, but in the fight against Tyler Santos, she kept trying to take her down, and she kept getting out-scrambled. That's how Santos was ending up in the top position. I feel like that was a mistake. She could have won the stand-up. Then she tries that spinning back kick last weekend, gets taken down, gets submitted. I feel like that was a mistake. And I don't understand why or how a woman that seems so locked in for so long, who never made mistakes, is making these mistakes now. I don't, I don't, I can't really grasp why that's happening. But it was ultimately the spinning back kick that cost her her championship because Alexa Grasso jumped on her back so fast. And Ryan, when you're, when you're Valentina Shevchenko and you've held that belt for so long, she's essentially been the only flyweight champion in UFC history because Nico Montano had the belt. They stripped it from her. It was Joanna and Valentina for the title. She's been the only one. To tap to something that's not under the neck tells you the amount of pressure that was being applied by Alexa Grosso. And then Alexa also looked a little bigger than her when DC. they were inside the octagon, RC. DC, here's my question, and I have another one after this once you answer. But let's think about this. When, when you're atop the game and you're there as long as Valentina Shevchenko, eventually there's a blueprint on the way you fight. There's been so many posts made about Alexa Grasso and her camp practicing this same finishing move and taking her back in one of those spinning attempts by Valentina Shevchenko, whether it's a back fist or a kick, and then executing it in the fight. Sometimes when you've been atop, your game stops evolving. You stop looking for ways to get better or you stop adding different things because you're so dominant. How much of the blueprint that's now laid out for Valentina Shevchenko, as we see here, Alexa Grasso practicing very similar to the way oh she finished goodness. this fight. How much does Valentina's tendencies and Valentina's uh, kind of habits when she's in the octagon play into people getting a, a read on her and now affecting her in the last two fights? RC, I'd never seen that video. I had never seen that video. She was act they were actually practicing it. I know I had heard they were practicing it, but they were actually practicing it in the back. Um, but let I, I get it. You pick up on reads and tendencies, right? That's why you could play someone multiple times and get better against that person. But I think more than anything, RC, I think we have to give credit to Alexa Grasso and to Valentina Shevchenko. I get it. She lost her title. But, Ryan, I say we have to give Valentina credit for this reason and this reason only. 
she elevated the entire division. Yeah. She made everybody better because she was so good that if you didn't improve to that next level, you wouldn't even have a chance. So that's why the older fighters that she was fighting early in her career and dominating didn't have a chance against her because she was so much further in front of them. But all those young athletes that were coming up to Tyler Santos, who made her debut recently, the Alexa Grosso, who was at 115 and then went up, that whole time they were not developed fully. They were getting better and better and better, knowing that when they got to the champ, they had to be at her level or they would get wiped out. So hats off to Valentina for raising the level of fighter in this division overall. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, you know what's now becoming more evident? We had a reign with Francis Ngannou, Israel Adesanya, Kamaru Usman, where Nigeria had, you know, champions and that, that, that pride was in those fighters. Now, when you look at Brandon Moreno and Yair Rodriguez, who was the interim belt holder, and adding Alexa Grasso to that number, that's another Mexican champion in the UFC How much influence will that have on the fighters in Mexico or the way that will inspire them? And what's the significance of Mexico having another champion in this organization? You know, Ryan, um, I know that it inspires. Anytime you see people like yourself reaching the pinnacle, it inspires you. But it's hard for me to think that it makes... It makes a difference. I don't want this to come off wrong. But, Ryan, we are talking about a fighting people. We are talking about Juan Manuel Marquez. We are talking about Julio Cesar Chavez. We are talking about Eric Morales. We're talking about some of Carnelo Alvarez. We're talking about a nation of people who are just fighters, right? So while it's massive, it's should it be expected that a culture of people that fight – the greatest boxers of all time, 
the fighting culture in Mexico is now shining through in the UFC. So, yes, yes. it will motivate more mixed martial artists. But in terms of just being a fighting culture, bro, nobody does it like Mexico. We have right, for years what, watched it. and But that's what's cool about it to me, DC, whether mm -hmm. it's, you know, Roberto Durand or if it was yep. Oscar De La Hoya, Canelo Alvarez. Now we're seeing that same sort of influence and that same sort of energy enter or filter into the UFC. And I think that that's just something that's that next step of this it's of this organization and of this of mixed martial arts becoming so global. But speaking of global, right, we got to talk about all the guys that stepped fly this week, especially okay, okay. with my guy Kamaru coming up in a few. Listen, Ian Gary, bro, he, he brought it. He brought it inside the octagon. Mm. But look at this tuxedo. My dog dang they're out here like a spy. He giving you a little James, James Bond. Bond. You know, I know James Bond would go with the white coat, but this is clean. <laughs> when you're a winner, and you know what, too? This is the Conor McGregor influence. I know you hate that I bring him up all the time, but he's from Ireland. Conor started dressing this way, rocking the suits. Ian Gary got is bringing it, too. Yeah, Ian Gary's bringing it. He was dressed nice. He was on the concourse level singing. He was singing the Men in Black with his training partner. Them dudes had it. But that wasn't the only dude stepping fly last week. And look, let's take a listen right here. I got to say something to the American public right now. That's a fly jacket right there. That's pretty smooth. That's pretty smooth right there. I said, yo, that's a smooth. I thought I was looking pretty smooth today, to be quite you're honest. Right, you're right. I thought I was going to steal the show. But then I saw my man RC with the mock neck and the blazer. Damn, I got to go buy that. I got to go buy that. Way to go, my brother. Hey, hey, hey look. Hey, my boy. Hey, my boy. Just look at that. A little Hershey kiss. Hey, just a little chocolate drop, huh? Look at my little chocolate drop. Bro, you so stupid, you was looking fly. <laughs> hey, DC, man. You know, I went to talk to Kamaru a week ago, and he was kind of talking bad about me. He said I was doing too much. So I went a little simple on him just to show him how it's done. But my boy is back. He's back in Vegas. He's filming The Ultimate Fighter. My guy Connor is there now. I don't know if this is Connor's face, but this is definitely Connor's style. You see him with the shirt, that the silk joint. When we put him on the screen, though, his wife was rubbing his chest. It made me uncomfortable. <laughs> like I was watching something I wasn't supposed to be watching. But what you got to say about what Connor was wearing? Because, you know, whenever it's time, my guy brings it. You know what's crazy is that sometimes because it's super expensive doesn't make it good. Right? Like you got like sometimes it doesn't. I'm not true. saying it's horrible. I'm not That's saying true. it's horrible. But just because it's good expensive doesn't always make it good, it, but it is kind of Connor. But the reality is, like like you said, you don't know if that's Connor's face. Like, yo, how does Connor look so different, bro? I don't know what Connor <laughs> did to his face, but this man looked different, don't he? What did this man do to his bro, face? He's swole. He's swole now, <laughs> dog. This is big Connor. This thick Connor. You big, know what I mean? Connor, like, uh, so he just stretched his whole see. face. Yeah, like he just stretched his whole face, man. Like, that's crazy. Talking about Connor McGregor, man. Him and Michael Chandler in the ultimate fighter in Las Vegas. They were asked about their predictions for the fight. This is exact. This is what these boys had to say. I think I'm a little too slicey for, 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 <laughs> for, for him than, than, than anyone else he's fought. A little too snappy and whippy. And I think I'll slice through him. 170 or 155? 185. <laughs> That's exactly who we want. The biggest combat sports star and icon that we have ever seen, thinking he, he's going to come back 
and slice through somebody. That's exactly what we want. That gains intrigue. It, it builds the momentum. It builds, it builds the mystique of, of who he is and us putting butts in seats. That's exactly what we want. I can tell you this. It's definitely not going to happen. I can tell you this. Um, I see it going a, lot, a, a much different way. I think I've seen enough of Connor over the last couple weeks to, to know that I am going to not just slice through him, but bludgeon him with both of these hands and do whatever, do whatever I want, both standing or on the ground, and finish him by the second round. That's my Mystic Mike prediction, and I stand behind it. At this point, I don't think it's going to be at 155. Connor's expressed it's going to be at 170. I would love it at 170. I'll fight him at 185. I'll fight him at whatever weight class we want to fight at. I, don't, I could care less. Um, I just want to fight the man. Hey, uh... So Connor's talking to this guy, Oscar. Hey, bro, that man is a single-man crew for the Mac Life, which is a great YouTube channel Connor has. This dude runs it by himself, and that's why he gets the Connor McGregor exclusive. But Connor said he too slicey for him. Chandler said he going to slice right through him. Both of these guys are very confident going into the fight. Dude, Connor McGregor is fighting Michael Chandler at 170, partly because it's a matchup that he knows Mike is going to stand with him. But I believe, especially after hearing Dana, Dana goes, some things have happened that's not good. These guys are getting after each other. All the chirping, Ryan, I can tell you for the first time in a long time, I'm super excited about watching the ultimate fighter. I haven't yeah. had that in a long time, and I think that speaks to the star power of Conor McGregor, but also Michael Chandler and his ability to stand and trade with. Hey, man, they told me Michael Chandler got multiple houses in Las Vegas because this dude got a big crew. They said Chan they said Connor got like five houses in Vegas. These dudes just living it up in Vegas, both getting after each other. It's going to be a fun fight. I can't wait. Well, I think I think the thing is this. Were we ever in doubt that Connor was going to give us a great show? Were, were any of us ever confused as to what the ultimate fighter would be with Connor McGregor? We've seen this before. You thought he got old and he wasn't going to talk his stuff? Like, this is Conor McGregor. This is the reason you want him on this show. I believe it's the reason he actually did the show. Because he's Conor McGregor. What does he need with the ultimate fighter? He doesn't need to build his name. It was to remind people, like, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. This is the way I do things, the way I move, the way I talk. And I believe it's just going to build the intrigue to the fight. I also, like, I, I have this thing, you know, when... Like, my wife was explaining you to Logan because Logan thinks that you're, like, some big, soft, teddy, cuddly <laughs> teddy bear, and she wanted to meet you so badly. She made me come down to the floor to do it. And Yonk just kept saying, like, Logan, you talking about him like he's not a killer. Both <laughs> yeah, of these – and, and, and I always tell people about you, like, when, when you would get upset, I'm like, bro, DC ain't acting. Like, he really <laughs> liked that. I feel that way about these two dudes. What they're saying, DC, like they aren't acting. Conor McGregor legit believes he's going to put Michael Chandler to, to sleep. And Michael Chandler legit believes he's going to beat the brakes off of Conor McGregor. So both of these men will step into the octagon ultimately confident in what they're going to do, which makes me feel they're not going to change plans. Everybody's no. going to come forward everybody's going to throw hands and we're going to get exactly what we want from these two men. And that's the reason that this matchup was made. The UFC gives you what you want, bro. And this is what we wanted DC. And we're going to get to see the buildup play out on the ultimate fighter. 
Let me ask you this, though, RC. Michael Chandler, you just saw that clip right there of him doing all the athletic movements, right? Does that athleticism play to his advantage, or does it make him run into some danger? Because Connor's not that, like, ex- athletic, explosive dude, right? He's more, like, technical. He sees his shots. But Chandler's an athlete. But because he's so athletic, it makes you want to kind of just dart in. You want to use your speed to your advantage. But does that present some openings for Conor McGregor bro. if Michael Chandler explodes into him? We saw what happened with Jose Aldo when he tried hey, to explode into Conor. Hey, bro, Michael Chandler could come here with all that explosiveness, thinking that this is a football <laughs> game and not a fight. He bet he's- not. Now, that's the one thing we know, and especially – early when Connor is fresh, the type of sting and snap that he has on those punches and the precision that made him a champion very early on in his career. I, If I'm Michael Chandler, I probably go the opposite route that's unnatural to me is I don't have to start fast. Yes. I can be I can be calculated. I can pick my shots. I can pick my opportunities. If we're going to fight at 170, I can do my best to lean on Conor McGregor, keep him up against the cage, make it dirty, allow him to exhaust himself in a way when he's not getting an opportunity to throw punches. Because if we're going to make this a precision and skill fight early on, there aren't many in the world that are better than Conor McGregor, especially while he's fresh. So if I'm Michael Chandler, who we've seen gas out as well, we know he may be able to hold it a little bit better than Conor McGregor, especially if he paces himself. I don't run in here head first trying to give the world exactly what they came to see. I run in here thinking to myself, let's be smart. So I get a W and continue to keep my name ringing in the UFC as a guy who everybody wants to come to see fight. Yeah, absolutely. And it cannot be like this is the last big one because you can have a lot of big ones. But if you lose all the big ones, eventually people stop asking to see you in the big ones. So Michael Chandler at some point needs to win one of those big ones. And I believe a more calculated approach would pay dividends for him because the reality is this. When you rush in force against Conor McGregor, you find yourself in a lot of danger. You got to take your time. You got to be willing to take your time and make him work in order to try to make him make some mistakes, which is not something that we have seen very uh, often over the course of McGregor's fighting career. What we have seen often, though, is Marab Dwalashvili taking people down. This weekend, he headlines against Piotr Jan from not the Apex RC, he, they are fighting at the Virgin Casino, the old Hard Rock back in the day, in that little intimate arena. It's going to be a great fight at Bantamweight. Piotr Jan is back after a controversial decision lost to Sean O'Malley, taking on Marab Dualashvili. The most difficult matchup in the Bantamweight division because of the way that he fights. When you look at this fight, what do you think? And also, what do you think about Marab being all the way up to number three now and Aljamain Sterling being his teammate and them saying they don't want to fight each other. I mean, remember when we watched Marab last, and I could be wrong, DC, you could correct me. I believe it was Jose Aldo's last yes, fight. Yes, it was. And, yep, and yes, that was. fight wasn't necessarily exciting, but we saw Marab do exactly what he needed to do to win. He continued to keep pressure on Jose. He made sure the fight was 
was was difficult and dirty and he was not and I don't mean dirty in a way that means illegal but I'm saying he ugly. put the pressure on Jose Aldo made him grapple kept him up against the cage got in and out and tried to get his strikes whenever he can and now we're talking about Piotr Jan who in this position DC he has something to prove and 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 what I mean by that is you lose your belt to Aldermain Sterling you get an opportunity to fight for it again and you lose that fight. And, and Aljo kind of dominated. You have a controversial decision to Sean O'Malley. And now you're fighting the number three ranked fighter in the in the division. And you have to win. If, if you don't win, you find yourself falling into a place where you might become the new gatekeeper if you're a Piotr Jan. And so I think this is a very important fight, especially knowing that we're going to get Cheeto Corey, um, extremely soon. You're going to get Aljo and Triple Triple C, and then obviously Sean O'Malley waiting in the wings. This is a really big fight. But for Aljermaine Sterling and Marab to continue to say that they won't fight, that confuses me because it's your job to be the champion. I have a ton of friendships that aren't going to be broken because I went to win a championship. That's what my friends, that's what my teammates are going to cheer me on to do because everything is about competition. Breathing is a freaking competition. And so I think that if he wins this fight, he should definitely say, you know what? Bump what I said. I want my opportunity to fight for a championship. That was me and Kane back in the day. Ultimately, that's why I went to 205 because I didn't want... I just don't know what options these guys are going to have, especially if Marab keeps winning. Because it doesn't seem like he's a bad, like anyone's a bad matchup for him because of his fighting style. But you have a guy in Piotr Jan now who is a former champion that is in a must-win situation. He has to get this one. You cannot lose three in a row, especially in what is, in my opinion, the deepest division the UFC has today. There is no division like Bantamweight. There are... 15, 20 guys in the world that are just insanely high level. So you cannot lose three in a row, especially if you still have championship aspirations, which I know Piotr Jan still has. It's a tremendous matchup. I'm all excited because sometimes you come off the big card like last weekend and you have to go and work a card, a fight night, and you go, oh, man, the energy's going to be low. It's not going to match the level. I believe that this main event, is as high level as it comes, and it's one that warrants a headlining spot. It warrants being in front of people, and it's very important to a division that has a ton of athletes that all have the same ideas of becoming champion. But you know what, RC? You know what time it is. It's time to tap in and tap out. Let's go, Corporate Jake. Following his win over Jeff Neal, undefeated Shavrat Rachmanov called out Colby Covington. Covington has not fought in over a year and has that number two next to his name. DC, tap in or tap out on Rachmanov versus Covington. I tap in. I tap in. I tap all the way in. Because I believe this dude is insanely good. We sat there at the commentary table just singing his praises because not only did he win the fight impressively, he had a guy in Jeff Neal that missed weight by four and a half pounds that was out there to knock him out. He got hurt. He showed everything that you need to see in a young athlete that's looking to contend. He needs that one more step, though. He needs to fight the elite of the elite in the division, and Kobe Covington is exactly that. 
Yeah, I tap all the way in on this. He's he's moved himself into a position in a very crowded welterweight class that needs some some blood to add into that top five that we've seen kind of rotate through. And so getting someone like him that's undefeated, that just fought, just fought a very game, Jeff Neal, and won would be a great fight for Colby Covington in his return. Also at UFC 285, Derek Brunson's corner threw in the towel with one second remaining in his second round versus Drakus Duplessis. RC, tap in or tap out on Brunson's corner throwing in the towel. This one's difficult for me. Um, I'm going to tap in for this reason. If I'm watching DC fight and I am have as intimate of a relationship with him, uh, intimate enough relationship with him to be in his corner, I know him. I know his mannerisms. I know when he's done. And if his corner thought, even with one second, that, De that Derek Brunson was done, you throw in the towel. You don't allow him to come sit on the stool and figure it out then. And when I looked at Derek Brunson, it seemed like for a guy who I had saw ascend until his last fight against Jared Cannonier, that he had quit. And that's something you never want to say or feel about a fighter. I tap in, Ryan, for a lot of the same reasons. I, I think that we are now starting to get to the tail end of Derek Brunson's run. Because for a while, he's on this, this hot streak, right, where he was beating the young up-and-comers, and now he's not doing that anymore. And it seemed like it was get this done early or, or not. we're pretty much not going to do it. And mm -hmm. it just seems like uh, Derek Brunson is at that place now. It seems like it's pretty much, it, it's pretty much done, RC. You can see when fighters are, are, are kind of checked out, and I think that's what's happening with Brunson. So I tap in. Cobra Jake. Last week, Darren Till tweeted the following. I asked UFC to remove me just to sort some other stuff out for the foreseeable future. I'm not going anywhere. Got big plans to execute, and I'll be back. DC, tap in or tap out. This was the right move for Darren Till. Uh, I, I, I don't know, man. It, I, it's kind of a weird deal because I like Darren Till. I think he's cool. I like him a lot. I, I... Tap into taking time off if you need it. And, Ryan, I, I kind of want to be able to see you when I make this point because I don't know why these guys are doing this. It makes it very worrisome when guys are getting released, coming back after they're out of USADA. It just, it's a very weird deal for me when guys are just kind of in and out like that, especially when you get out to go deal with injuries and you're not getting tested anymore. Now, I'm not insinuating that Darren Till is doing something illegally, but it seems like there's a pattern starting now because, remember, Connor broke his leg. He was out of the testing pool. T.J. Dillashaw immediately uh, hurt his shoulder out of the testing pool. Darren Till said he needs time off now out of the testing pool. I don't understand what these guys are doing, so it's a very difficult one for me because I feel like it's taking on a life of its own to get out to go recover. D.C., they say success leaves footprints. <laughs> so if they feel like guys are successful in doing this, in getting opportunities to heal themselves in alternative ways, then they're going to yeah. follow. Here is kind of why I tap out on it in asking to be released in this case. What about Darren Till's recent run in the UFC says he belongs anyway? 
I understand that upon entering the UFC, uh, he was a hot name. He was a guy that was undefeated. But since then, Darren Till has lost four of his last five fights. And in looking at that, what's saying that Darren Till is a guy that people still want to see? And in no disrespect to him, in the recent months or years of his fighting career, he's been known more so as a cool guy who is extremely close to Hamzat Chemaev rather than a fighter that is stepping into the octagon and winning. And so to ask for your release now does, at least to me, seem a little fishy when you should be working harder or fighting harder to get another opportunity inside the octagon to prove yourself. All right, guys, last one. The New Orleans Saints have a new starting quarterback. Four-time oh. pro bowler Derek Carr is signing with D.C. Saints. So, R.C., tap in or tap out. The Saints are the best team in the NFC South. I tap in that the Saints have the best quarterback right now in the NFC South for sure. And at this moment, you can say they're the best team. I think the Carolina Panthers are set up to be a good football team, depending on what happens with them in free agency and draft. Also, you have to look at the Atlanta Falcons, who seem to be one of the names mentioned in the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes. Now, we obviously filmed this show before 4 o'clock on Tuesday, and that's when the franchise tag, and he just signed, and so Lamar Jackson just signed a non-exclusive tag, which means the Atlanta Falcons can be kind of in that oh conversation. And if they get Lamar, and we have oh. Michael Vick, 2.0 in Atlanta, Dirty birds. Dirty did you just birds? Did DC. you just look at? Did you look at your phone or something to just see the non-exclusive tag? Because I was hoping, I was hoping they just straight up franchise tag this dude so nobody could try to offer him anything to get. Because they have offered him so little. They, they're not giving him a fair wage to offer him what they offered him. It's kind of insulting that that was Very their insulting. initial offer. But but the reality is this: I can't sit up here and talk about football with you. It makes it very hard for me to step outside of my comfort zone. But the reality is this. We are not only the best team in the NFC South, we are the best team in the NFC. Because we go on to the Super Bowl now, baby. We, we right back in. Oh, when the Saints go marching in. Oh, when the Saints go marching in. Ryan, bro, we back. We all the way back. Michael Thomas done tweeted, thank goodness, so he back in the fold. We got Chris Olave. You got Alvin Kamara. We got everybody, man. Do you know how what? many playoff games Derek Carr has won? Bro, listen, listen. I do, hey, I don't try to – I don't. how many did Drew Brees win before he came? Because he won a lot of them when he got to New Orleans. And to me, this is the second coming of Drew Brees. This is the second coming of Drew Brees. It's a party in New Orleans right now. The French Quarter is on fire. We partying from Bourbon Street all the way to Marrero right now. Then we take it down to Lafayette, Louisiana. We are we have a second line going for 80 miles. Is this show that second ending line yet? going straight to the Super Bowl? Is this show ending? Hey, guys, check us out next week for sure. You get us first off. You get us anywhere you find your podcast on at 12 a.m. Yes, 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 yes. Eastern on ESPN2. But next week from yes, London at the press conference is going to be D.C. and R.C. And I don't know. I might, I might have an accent. I might sound hey. like Adrice Elba next week Very by the British. time we get there. 
You have a very British accent to your Louisiana twang right now, RC. I, I, I'm going to be so proper and, oh, and give me some tea. English breakfast tea, man. Give we're me some English tea. breakfast tea. <laughs> We're going to sip tea there. Hey, thank you guys so much for your support. We had a great time at UFC 285. We are looking forward to this week's fight and also next week's fight where you can see me and DC in London. Check us out anywhere you get your podcast at 12 a.m. Eastern on ESPN2. That's the two-division champ, DC. I'm RC. Peace. Peace.